Pastor Chris. Good evening. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs, chapter 1. Begin tonight, I want to read just verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we are grateful for the day, grateful for the opportunity to worship this morning, and once again to come together in the evening as a group to participate in the local church, to once again worship you. Father, we are so grateful for the word of God and pray that our study in this book, as we continue through it, would prove profitable in us living a life that's honoring and pleasing to you. As we come to this tremendous topic tonight, we just pray for the spirit of God to have liberty with each one of us and to humble us before you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. The Fear of the Lord is the title of tonight's message. Uh, for those of you who have been with us, you know that we started to go through the book of Proverbs, and we will be doing topical as we have laid foundations already. And we actually come to the first, in my personal opinion, the most significant topic within the book itself, and that is the fear of the Lord. However, in addressing it tonight, and we will, uh, we do need to remember, we've had a little bit of a break, what we've learned primarily from the book's own introduction. I'm concerned with that, not so much all the other foundational information I gave you, but I do want to remind us of what we've learned from the book, which gives us its own introduction in the first seven verses of the chapter. So just bear with me a second as we briefly go through that. What have we learned? Well, if you look at verse 1, we want to be reminded that we have seen that Solomon is the main writer or the main source for the book. You find that, the Proverbs of Solomon. We have clearly pointed out, as you go through the books, book, of Sol, uh, book of Proverbs, all of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote are not recorded here, nor uh, do we just have Proverbs by Solomon. As we've learned together, we have Proverbs that are by other people as well. But he is the main source. He is the main person. Secondly, we came to the purpose of the book, and that is given to us in verses 2 through 6, the main purpose of the book. And there is really a summary verse that's given to us in verse 2, and uh, which gives us a summation of what came in verses 3 through 6. Let me remind you of that because it will be helpful to us even as we talk about our first subject. In summation, we see in verse 2 two things. It is to know uh, something and then to understand or to discern. That is, number one, Proverbs is given to us for the purpose to know. That is to gain. Gain what? Intellectual knowledge. It is here for that purpose. Intellectual knowledge for what? Intellectual knowledge on how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. 
If you want to know how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, this book has been given to us for that purpose. But more than that, it is also given to us to discern in the sayings of understanding. That is, we learned that it is to understand, secondly, how to express that, or to take that intellectual knowledge and then how to apply it. That is the purpose of the book of Proverbs, to give us the knowledge, you need that first, and then to help us to see how it works, not just to give us knowledge so we gain intellectual knowledge, we need that, but also then to give us the understanding on how to express it. But he also amplified those things in verse 2 as well to give us the summarization. And again, I want you to catch this. In order to, number one, to gain the knowledge, and secondly, to express it, that is to live it out, we need two things we saw as well. We need, we need wisdom and instruction, he said in verse 2. Now, what is that? I want to remind you the summation of wisdom is to be skilled. That's the idea. God doesn't just want us to gain knowledge. He wants us to be skilled. It's like anything else. Whatever you do, Pastor Chris gave a message a couple of weeks ago on the fact of doing things with excellence. And that's what we should do. Whatever it is that we do in life, we know that scripture in the New Testament says, do all to the glory of God. Whether you're, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the concept behind this instruction to us and this gaining of knowledge isn't again just for personal benefit so that we become smart. In fact, knowledge, all that does is puff up according to the scriptures, but it's to help us to be skilled. So gaining the knowledge helps, but what does that mean to give us instruction? And we saw as we took that term, it means the only way you're gonna become skilled is if you're disciplined. That's what it means. To be disciplined, <coughs> excuse me, to have training, to work hard, and you will not become skilled in godly living unless you, number one, know what God's word says, and number two, work hard at applying it by base, based upon what he gives us and based upon the circumstances and based upon the application. And so if we want to gain knowledge for godly living and express it, it is going to take study and it is also going to take hard work and discipline in practicing it because we are not perfect and it'll take God to do that in our lives. And then we ended with the motto for the entire book and that's where we pick it up tonight and that's verse 7. And in between in verses 4 to 6 he just expanded on that, I mentioned that, he gave it from both the student's perspective and the teacher's perspective as he began to talk in there. But you come down to verse 7 which sets the tone for the entire book and I believe is its motto as I um, chose to give it a title, and that is the fear of the Lord is the motto for the book. And so we want to begin tonight in taking a look at this topic as we will deal with several topics, as I mentioned, in the book of Proverbs, and the foundation for all of it is this one. So let's begin with the basics of the fear of the Lord. That's number one. I'll get to a definition in a moment. But first of all, let's deal with the basics right found in verse 7. And what is it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And to put it very simply, the basic understanding of the fear of the Lord is that it is where everything, and I underscore that word, everything begins. You will not have wisdom, 
You will not have knowledge. You will not have skill. You will not live a successful life that is a godly life that is pleasing to the Lord without the fear of the Lord. It is repeated in the book of Proverbs. Go with me to chapter 9 and verse 10. You say, I'm living for the Lord every day. Do you have the fear of the Lord in you? And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. If you don't, you're not living a life that's pleasing to God. In uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, here we go again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It said it was the beginning of knowledge in verse 7. It now says it's the beginning of wisdom. And then he goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I will come back to that in a little bit. Go with me to chapter 15 and verse 33. Chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 33. The fear of the Lord, and we see these terms that we've already been introduced to. Knowledge, wisdom. Notice verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. So again, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. In other words, when we go back to chapter 1, verse 7, and it's giving us the motto for the book, and I said it is where everything starts, it is the controlling principle of everything that will result in godliness. The controlling principle is the fear of the Lord. Or to put it another way for you, it is inseparable. The fear of the Lord is inseparable from the use of the word knowledge, wisdom, or instruction. It is where it all begins. So if you want to have the proper knowledge of God, if you want to have wisdom, okay, and instruction, you have to have the fear of God. Now let me expand on that knowledge a little bit. I said I'd go back to chapter 9. Go with me to Proverbs 9, 10 again. Because there's another aspect when we say it begins with everything. Or everything begins with the fear of the Lord. You'll notice in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then it says this, and, and what? It says, in the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Something that's very essential here that you want to catch as a basic again, is the fear of the Lord is synonymous with the knowledge of God. In order to have the fear of the Lord, you have to have the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it is what? It is the knowledge of the Holy One. It is the knowledge. And by the way, the fear of the Lord is the term Yahweh, for those of you that are familiar with that Old Testament term. Okay? The, but to have the fear of the Lord is also to have the knowledge of God. I will demonstrate that to you right now. Go with me to chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 2. So this is just basic understanding of the concept of the fear of the Lord. In chapter 2, I want to read the first five verses. My son, that should help you to remember some things I've already taught you. It's given as instruction primarily to youth, though we all benefit from it. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, 
Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Notice the work involved. For if you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. It's really what you want. Verse 4. If you seek her as silver, something that's precious, and search for her as hidden treasure. Notice, result. Then, if you have that desire to really know and to have understanding and to want to live a godly life, watch verse 5, then you will discern, understand, the fear of the Lord and watch the rest of it. And discover the knowledge of God. It is inseparable. To have the fear of the Lord, you have to have a knowledge of God. Many, many things are feared in this world. We fear many things. But when you're talking about the fear of the Lord, when you're talking about the fear of Yahweh, when you're talking about the fear, allow me, of Jehovah, you need to know that to have the fear of the Lord, it is inseparable. It's synonymous with knowing God. In other words, let me put it to you this way, and then I'll illustrate it. You cannot live a life that's pleasing to God if you don't know who he is. If you don't know who God is, you can't be pleasing to him. You don't know what he expects. You don't know what he's like. You think you can get away with things. You think he can overlook things. You think it's okay to do certain things because you don't know the character of God. But in order to really understand the fear of the Lord, you have to see that it's directly associated with the knowledge of who he is and what he expects. And that's what the writer of Proverbs here is encouraging his son to do. It's search and really want to know it. And you will discover the fear of the Lord and you'll know who God is. And by faith, you will fear him and believe him. That is, you will order your life accordingly. Let me try to demonstrate this or illustrate this to you with a New Testament example I know that you are familiar with. Turn with me to the, books of, the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts, chapter 17. Can I fear the Lord without really knowing him? Well... You might fear something in your imagination. There are a lot of people in the past, and there are still a lot of people today, who would say they fear God, or they have fear of the gods. And if they're feeling, fearing, fearing excuse me, the gods, there is no such thing. Corinthians makes it very clear that they're a non-entity, that those people are fearing nothing. There's nothing to fear, because there is no other God but the one true God. But when you come to Acts chapter 17, watch. Beginning in verse 16. I know you're familiar with this. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athen at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing, watch this, he's observing the city. It's full of idolatry, full of idols. They had fear of the gods, quote unquote. And they had, were involved with idolatry, verse 17. So he was reasoning with them in the synagogue with the Jews. And watch this, God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and there were a lot of them involved in Athens. I won't spend the time on that. 
were con uh, excuse me, conversing with him, some were saying, what do we, what do, we do? Uh, uh, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others seemed to be proclaiming strange deities. Notice that. They worshiped deities. Because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, known as Mars Hill, saying, we know, uh, excuse me, may we know what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. That's what leads to his message. In other words, they're worshiping all types of gods that they refer to as God-fearing people, and they have this uh, inscription. Notice it, beginning in verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, watch this, I observe that you are very, notice, religious in all aspects. And while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, objects of the worship was well put by Paul, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. The simplest way I like to put this, just from my understanding, and there's a little bit more to it, but they're covering the bases. They've got all of these temples and so forth, and just in case they missed it, the, maybe the God that you can't know, they have this altar to the unknown God. And notice what Paul does. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. In other words, he's giving them insight. In order to be, have the proper fear of the Lord, in order to understand what uh, you need to understand, excuse me, what God is really like, and that's what he does. Notice how simple he is with the Gentiles. The God who made, and he describes God. The God who made the world. He has the courage to stand up and say that to them in the midst of Athens. And all the things in it, if you want to be God-fearing and you want to understand it, this God, the one that you're saying is the unknown God, made everything. It puts in perspective his sovereignty. All things. And notice this. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. And he's saying that as he's looking at the temples. That's not what this God is like. If you say you're, you think that you fear God or the gods, those aren't gods. Let me explain to you is what he's saying, what the one true God is like. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people, watch this, he really brings it home, life and breath in all things. In other words, as he's talking to them, he's saying, I want to explain to you so you have a proper fear of God. I want to explain to you who he is. Because the fear of God, as far as the scriptures are concerned, is inseparable with who he is. And he says, not only did he create everything, but the very breath that you have and the very life that you have comes from him. And so he goes on, and he said, in verse 26, and he said, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation. Let me take it down to verse 31. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though, watch this, he's not far from each of us. 
For in him, practical, we live and move and exist. And even some of your own prophets said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature. And I wanted to go to this passage because there are people today who say, I fear God. Is it the one true God? Is it the God of scripture? Or is it just the concept of a God? He wanted them to understand that the divine nature is not like, look at gold or silver or stone. What a powerful message in the midst of the Areopagus. But he says, it's, isn't it? An image formed by art or the thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge, the one true God, the world in righteousness through the man whom he appointed, having established proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He's referring to Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you, when it says back in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the beginning of everything is the fear of the Lord. And I've said to you that it's inseparable. It's the controlling thing, the controlling principle, inseparable from wisdom, knowledge, and instruction, and that's specifically the knowledge of God. You can't have the fear of God, so as you go through the terms, they may fear God who they don't know, but a proper fear of God is to bring them to an understanding of who that God really is. Then they can uh, certainly fear him properly. So that's uh, just a little foundation there. Next thing I want to say, go back to Proverbs chapter 1, is that the fear of the Lord is not unique to the book of Proverbs, and I think you're aware of that. But to understand it, I told you one of the dangers of doing topical study is to miss things because it's elsewhere in Scripture. Well, this concept is not new to the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs alone, though, let me tell you this, the word fear of the Lord, the expression fear of the Lord, is used 19 times, and we will be looking at it. The Old Testament it was not something that was a new idea. Go with me, please, to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. See, I want to get to the definition. We're going to get there. You need to understand that everything begins with whatever this is. And it does involve the knowledge of God. In uh, Genesis chapter 20, notice verse 11. Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place. This is when he lied, and that's not to commend his lying. The point is, he looked and he said, there's no fear of God. They don't fear the one true God, and so he thought he would be killed. Go with me to chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 12. Chapter 22. Just to show you that it's outside of the book. In verse 22, uh, chapter 22, excuse me, verse 12, it says, he said, do not stretch out your hand against me and do nothing to him, for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And I wanted you to see what happened here is Abraham was moved. His actions were a result of the fact that he understood the one true God and his actions resulted in him obeying. A couple of other verses. Go with me to Job chapter 28. Job 28. Verse 
You're either all on computers or sleeping because I don't hear any pages turning. Okay, but Job 28, verse 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. That is wisdom. And we'll get to the next part because that you'll see is a part of it. And depart from evil is understanding. But you notice even Job had a concept and he understood fear of the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Let me mention this to you. In Psalms, the fear of the Lord appears 45 times just alone in that book. In Psalm 111. Just to see that it's a topic that goes right through the Old Testament. First of all, 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord, look at, sound familiar? Is the beginning of wisdom. And good understanding have all those who do his commandments. We'll deal with that aspect as we continue on. His praise endures forever. Psalm 128, verse 1. Psalm 128, in verse 1. How blessed is everyone who does what? Fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And I will deal with that aspect of it, not tonight, but we will deal with it. But notice, the one that's blessed is the one, the one that has favor, the one that's pleasing is the one that fears the Lord. And just, those are just a couple of places. Genesis, Job, I turned you to. Well, let me go to one other one because it'll help to set the tone. Go to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12. I know most of you are familiar with this. Because I've referred to Solomon there. And you come to verse 13 and 14, it says the conclusion, when all, this is chapter 12, verse 13 of Ecclesiastes, when all has been heard, is what? What's the first thing he says? Fear God. And we'll deal with the other aspect and keep his commandments. Why? Because this applies to every person. For God will bring, watch this, every act of judgment. Don't forget that. Everything which is hidden. Don't forget that. Whether good or evil. He says the whole purpose of man is basically to fear God. So it's not only in Proverbs, though it is, it's not only in the Old Testament, but it is also in the New Testament 19 times. Let me just highlight a couple of verses. I won't highlight all I have here. Go to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. So this is an important theme that goes through Scripture, and it is the foundation of everything that's going to be said in the book of Proverbs. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church, it's, it's, you're going to see that it's a prosperous situation. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the what? Fear the Lord. The early church grew. Why? And they found peace, and there was instruction, edification, building up. What were they doing? They were moving forward in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit in continued to increase. They continued to grow. They continued to be prosperous. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 
might ring a bell to you. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's not what I wanted. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.11, sorry. That's a great verse that I just looked at, but verse 11 is what I wanted. Therefore, knowing what? The fear of the Lord. We persuade men. Why do we witness? You think it's practical? Why do we witness? Fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord is because we do know it. We persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciousness. And we could look at Ephesians. We could look at 2 Peter, the book of Revelation. I'll just turn to the last usage in Scripture. Go with me to Revelation 19. It's not the only time in the book of Revelation, but Revelation 19, I believe, is the last one. Revelation 19 and verse 5. And that's not right. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. It is right. And the voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all ye his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. So from the first book to the last, what I'm saying to you is we come to this expression, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord has to be associated with knowing him. A couple of other basics that I want to get. One more basic, and then I'll give you a definition. We'll let the scriptures do that for you. When you talk about the fear of the Lord, as is presented in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I think this is very important, and I'll tell you who it's important for. People that study. One of the dangers when we study the word of God is we break things down, which is good, and we study them so finely, which is good, that oftentimes we destroy some things that we shouldn't. And that is true with the fear of the Lord and some of the reading that I did. The fear of the Lord must be taken as a unit. He doesn't mean it any other way than that way. You will not get the essence of the fear of the Lord by studying the word fear alone and studying the Lord alone. Any more Maybe these are poor illustrations, but let me give you two. Any more than you can break down water and say, if I just take hydrogen twice by itself and I just take oxygen by itself, I've got water. No, you don't. No, you don't. But when you get H2O together, you've got water. If you were to study till doomsday butter and study fly, you will never get to butterfly, guaranteed. Now, that sounds silly to you. You say, you can't do that about the fear of the Lord, Pastor Dan. Yes, you can, because the fear of the Lord is meant that way. It's meant that way in Scripture. It is a term that must be understood in its use together. Well, what does it mean? You told us how important it is. What does it mean? And you will hear all kinds of definitions that are given even by believers. Let's let the Scripture define it. For us, it has two parts to it. You might want to mark that down. The fear of the Lord, by its definition, has two parts. Let me give them to you, and I'll show you from Scripture. On the one hand, the fear of the Lord, that expression, means to be in awe. It means to have reverence for. It means to have respect for. It means to have respect for and submit to. What? 
a person in that person's position. It means to have a reverence or an awe because of who the person is just in their position and thus submit to it. That's the one side of what fear of the Lord means. Let me show you. Go with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. So what are we saying? On this one, what we're saying is just because God is who he is, we ought to fear him. We ought to stand in awe of his power, who he is, and respect his person and position. Psalm 118, verse 4. Oh, let those who fear the Lord, there it is, say, watch how comforting this is. His loving kindness is everlasting. There's no, there's no dread there in that passage. It's a very positive thing. It's in other words, speaking to Israel, he's talking here. He says, let those who do fear the Lord say his loving kindness. What a great God. Even because of the kindness and loving kindness that he expresses ought to cause us to stand in awe of him. That he would even be that kind. Psalm 47, verse 2. Psalm 47, verse 2. This is how the scriptures use the fear of the Lord. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the fear of the Lord, uh, excuse me, for the Lord most high is to be feared, watch, just because of his position. A great king over all the earth. There's no dread in this one. It's simply saying the Lord, the most high Lord, is to be feared. And it parallels it with the fact he's a great king over all the earth. His very position demands awe. That is what the idea is, and I'm not going to turn here, but I'll give you the reference. That is the idea of what you find in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2, where it talks about we are looking to the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of who he is and what he's done, we obey him. We are awed by him. So on the one hand, you have an awe just because of his position as king. On the other hand, in the definition and as it's used in scripture, and too many Christians don't want to admit to this, the fear of the Lord does mean to stand in awe because of who he is, but it also means to dread him. You can't escape that from scripture. It means that I fear not to obey him. Now, I know that we have many believers here tonight, and immediately in your mind, I hope, comes Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. Praise the Lord. That ought to make us stand in awe. But there's too many Christians that also see that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's no fear. They don't think that's any big deal. Ah, it just gets burned up. Is that your understanding of God? The other part of it is dread. It is fear for disobedience. Why? Because of how he, hit, he addresses sin. You don't think that's so? Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Watch. Psalm 119 is a big psalm. Look at verse 120. 
My flesh, now if you have a New American Standard, what's the next word? Trembles. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you trembled at the thought of God in a healthy way? Now, I don't want to be out of balance here. Listen, folks. We ought to love God. And we need to see this, the, the part of God that because of his loving kindness, because of his mercy, is just a tremendous God, compassionate God. Yes. But notice what the psalmist says. My flesh trembles. Why? For fear of you. And watch. And I am afraid of your judgments. You see, we sometimes fear, we should fear authorities. We should fear people in positions because they have the right and the authority. But we should also fear if we stand before a judge or we stand before a situation, the awesome power they have and they can come down in the judgments. And one of the reasons people pursue sin, and you want to hold on to this, because one of the evidences, I'll give it to you right now, one of the evidences that you really fear God is you flee sin. Why? Because God hates it. Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Great. He is to be feared above all gods. Those people who have these non-entities that they're fearing, don't fear that. This God is to be feared above all of them because of who he is and what he can do. You say, that's not too much dread. Oh yeah, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your what? Dread. So Pastor Dan, I think you've, you've, you've got it all mixed up here. Now you get me, I didn't need to fear God. I, I thought I was to love God. You are. What I am saying to you is this, and we'll go back to Psalms. They must be taken together. To represent the fear of God is simply, I just fear him because of his position without seeing the fear of judgments is not a proper understanding. To say I fear his judgments, but I don't just fear his personhood and who he is and just how great he is, is not a representation of the fear of God. They must go together. The fear of God must be the term put together, and both of those aspects need to be there. Go with me to Psalm 2. Let me, see, let me show you this together. You just saw it a moment ago. But go to two other quick psalms. Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, verse 11. Watch. Worship the Lord. How? With reverence, yes, and rejoice with trembling. They go together. When you go to worship the Lord, there's reverence for him because of who he is. We have an awesome God. We have a God that's worthy because of just his character and who he is. And we should rejoice, but we should do it with trembling. Also because of who he is. Psalm 22, verse 23, uh, verse, I think it's 13. Let me just check this. Psalm 22. 
No, it is 23. 22-23. All you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. What's he talking about? Those who fear the Lord. And stand in awe of him. All descendants of Israel. So when we talk about, in other words, what I'm saying, and by the way, let me give you one more from the New Testament on this. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read that to you. I'll get there quickly. Hebrews 12. You want to mark it down? It's verse 28. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. What we are saying to you is that for a definition of the fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord, we must know who he is and what he's like, and that will cause us to stand in awe of him and to be frightened to disobey him. That's what we're saying. They go together. There is the awesomeness of just who God is as creator, as savior. And we want, and it ought to draw us to want to submit to him because of his greatness. But also the fear of the Lord, as you go through it and look at it, and as we will see it, is also that we are frightened to disobey him. Not in the sense that we're so scared of him, but we don't want to disobey him. Because of our love and because he brings sin, sin under judgment. In fact, I'll take it this far. We have now no condemnation if you've trusted in Christ, right? Yes. Does the picture of the cross cause you to stand not only in awe, but in fear? What do you mean? God can't overlook sin. He had to sacrifice his son. His justice could not be satisfied without the sacrifice of the sinless son of God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because of who he is. He had to judge sin. That's why he can't overlook your sin. That's why religion will never satisfy God or good, or good works. Yes, we ought to walk, and that's what will keep us away from sin. I don't, it's, like a, it's, it's a very poor comparison, but it's like a parent. Because they're your parent, you ought to have honor for them, and you ought to fear them and have that type of awe for their position, but also they can carry out consequences in your life. Now again, if we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. I don't want to be misunderstood. But you and I need to see that God commands us to fear him. I'm going to read to you just two more verses before we conclude tonight. In Deuteronomy, I'm going to read 13.4 to you because it was commanded. These are the words of Deuteronomy 13.4 given to Israel. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. They were commanded. They would fear him, and it would be seen by keeping his commandments. It would be seen by serving him. It would be seen by clinging to him. And so when we talk about the fear of the Lord, to introduce it tonight, there's many aspects to it, but all of them encompass knowing who God is. 
You can't have the fear of the Lord without knowing what our God is like. That is why our Bible, really, we benefit from it, but God has given it to us to reveal himself. When you see the beauty of mountains, when you see the beauty of God's creation, what does it tell you? According to Romans, it tells you the power of God. When you open up the word of God, you find out God created the heavens and the earth. What's he like? Is he a loving God? Yes. Is he a just God? Yes. Does he care about sin at all? Absolutely. And you begin to get the picture. And so as we gain that knowledge and to be skilled, everything starts with knowing who God is. And it brings us right back to a personal relationship. That's what it is. And when we know who God is and how powerful he is, and he's the only one true God, the holy one that's above all and over all, and is from everlasting to everlasting, we should have an awesome respect for him. When we see his loving kindness, it ought to cause us to bow down and shake our heads and ask this question. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man? Who are we? And God loved us that much? It ought to want to cause us to fear that God. And then when we see that he has to judge sin, no wonder Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6 Beginning in verse 1, it says, We who have received this grace, shall we sin so grace would abound? What a warped message that is. No. We don't want to live in sin because of who God is. We want to live a life that's pleasing to him because of our fear for him. Hopefully it gives you somewhat of an aspect. So see both aspects of that definition, that it deals with the awesomeness because of his person, but also the dread, the dread for the mighty judgment of God. That's why people ought to fear the tribulation. That's why we should have a zeal. I just read that to you, 2 Corinthians. We should have a zeal because we do fear the Lord to go out and spread the gospel because we know God's not going to overlook the sin of our relatives if they don't come to him. It ought to give us a zeal because God's given us the command to go out and to preach the gospel. And yet we don't. Yet we don't. And then we say, we fear the Lord. So we're going to take a little bit of look as we go through Proverbs. What does it look like? How do I know if I really fear the Lord? What will happen in my life? What will it look like if I really do have that awesome fear and that dread? But we'll leave that to pick it up next week. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you from cover to cover. This book is filled with the concept of the fear of God. And Father, as we saw in verse 7, everything begins, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, with the fear of God, with an understanding of who you are, what you're like. And Father, we humbly come before you. We really don't understand salvation, though we intellectually can read about it and trust. But Father, to think that you would look down on people totally lost and save them, that, Father, you would give us an indwelling Holy Spirit that can guide and direct us. And then, Father, that we would want to go our way and not be pleasing in your sight. I pray that as we continue on the topic of the fear of the Lord, you would stir up my heart, stir up the hearts of everyone here, that we would desire to be pleasing to you in all that we do, and that we would walk our daily life, as we will see next week, all day long in the fear of the Lord. Father, we commit this to you. Thank you for our time today and time together. Pray you bless us as we depart. In Christ's name, amen.